Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. When people are asked about Jesus, a popular response is, He dies on the cross for our sins. While that is indeed true, the entire last week of Jesus' life is an interesting string of events. Since it is that time of year, we thought it good to do an overview of that week. One of the most interesting things about the whole week is Jesus knew he would end up being crucified on a cross, yet he stayed in the city of Jerusalem because he knew that his heavenly Father had sent him to give his life for us on the cross. Let's join Pastor Jim in part of his message, Jesus the Generous King. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, that would be Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus knows the time has come. It's time for him to go to Jerusalem. It's time for him to die on the cross. It's time for him to rise from the dead, ascend into heaven, and offer salvation the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who would believe and all who would trust in him that he gave his life on the cross for us in our place for our sins. And therefore, the title of our message tonight is Jesus, the Generous King. Jesus, the Generous King. So let's go day by day. On Sunday, uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. It's kind of what begins everything. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead, and there's great excitement in the air that Jesus might be the Messiah. After that, Jesus once again predicts his death, and then Jesus goes and he visits the temple. But the temple is not really so much a house of worship anymore as the religious leader mafia, if you will, has turned it into a money-making, money-laundering, big-money place for themselves. That's Sunday. Now we go to Monday. Uh, Jesus is coming back towards Jerusalem. He's staying out of town, and he curses a fig tree. Why would he curse a fig tree? It symbolizes the fruitless and faithfulness, uh, faithlessness of Israel. Then he goes into the temple, and he meant that famous story, he overturns the table. He's kicking out the, the people that are making money. Uh, he's challenging the powerful religious leader. One scholar puts it this way. Jesus goes into the temple, and he hits the beehive. That's a great way of putting it. That's what he does, and it is a hot, hot scene. And that's it for Monday. Then we come to Tuesday. And on his way back into the city, Jesus teaches his followers the lesson about the fig tree because now it's barren. And he says, it's just like Israel. It once was fruitful. And then now this tree has no fruit on it. So now it is completely barren. Then Jesus teaches and engages in what is one of my more favorite parts of this week is the controversies in the temple. Jesus, we studied these in Matthew's gospel where they are extensively written about. He verbally battles with the religious leaders. They are so frustrated with him. Here you have the top intellects of the mind of Israel uh, speaking with who they consider to be an uneducated carpenter from Nazareth. Nazareth was the wrong side of the tracks. 
It was where the uneducated people come, came from. And they're trying to uh, trick Jesus with their questions. And Jesus is just demolishing them. He is absolutely demolishing them. He's teaching parables. He's, he's saying woes about them. He's just going at them right in front of all the people in the temple. And the religious leaders feel their power slipping away. After that, Jesus predicts the future in a dialogue with the apostles. That's Tuesday. Now we come to Wednesday. Wednesday's probably the toughest day to figure out. Some think that Jesus is resting at the home of Simon the leper and Mary of Bethany uh, anoints him with oil there. Others think that Jesus continues his daily teaching in the temple complex. It's quite possible both are true. Luke, uh, in chapter 21, verse 37 and 38, tells us something about this week. It says, and in the daytime, some versions say every day, he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and stayed on the mountain called Olivet. Then early in the morning, all the people came to him uh, in the temple to hear him. Uh, then also a lot of people, scholars think that on Wednesday, the plot against Jesus to kill him really begins to get serious. The religious leaders have been plotting Jesus' death for a while. This could be Tuesday when more of this happened. We don't know. But we do know one thing. We do know that they state that they want to avoid this week because it's Passover week. The streets are packed. The people are there. And Jesus is big news. He's very, very popular. And there's a lot of Galileans where he is from. They're in the city too. And so the religious leaders think, you know, we want to do this some other time because this could really blow up in our face if we do it then. Now we come to Thursday. Thursday's a very busy day. Uh, they are preparing for the Passover. Jesus tells the apostles to go get things ready for the Passover and all that kind of preparations. That takes most of the day. Uh, it gets a little bit later in the day and the final Passover meal with the disciples Jesus eats. And so, and there he institutes the Lord's Supper, what we know as communion. Now, uh, Passover was, they celebrated the deliverance of Egypt, God's people from Egypt, where they were slaves. Egypt, a type of sin in the Bible. The Lord's table or communion or the Lord's supper is somewhat different as it symbolizes Jesus delivering us from our sins and our guilt against God. After that, uh, they have the Last Supper and the cleansing of uh, the, well, during that time, that the final Passover is what happened, but the Last Supper and Jesus' cleansing of his community. At that, at, before they really sit down to do everything, Jesus washes their feet. And he says to them, and, and just imagine that later on, like, God washed my feet. Oh, my goodness. And, and, but, but it symbolized to them a very well-known thing that, that he says, 
this is an example for you. This is what you are to do for one another. You are to wash one another's feet, not necessarily literally, but you are to serve one another. Another thing that I think it does is I think there's some other symbolism there in the fact that it talks about in the Bible, your walk is the way you live. And when we walk and when we live, we what? We commit sin. And Jesus is washing their feet symbolically as he is showing them that he also washes away uh, their sins of their, of their daily walk, of, of their daily lives. Next, what begins is what's called the farewell discourse. Jesus' great teaching on such things as I go to prepare a place for you and what it means to abide in him. We talked about that last summer. And then uh, the farewell discourse continues. Jesus begins, particularly you see this stuff in the Gospel of John. Jesus teaches on the coming of the Holy Spirit, his prayer for the apostles, and his prayer for us, his prayer for those who would believe the message of the apostles. Then next, Jesus predicts Peter's denials. Guess what happens? Peter denies that he will deny Jesus. He says, that's never going to happen. Uh, Then Jesus issues some final practical comments and, and, and some commands, sorry, and then some notes for the future, just kind of tell them some things. And then they get up and they leave and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, now it's getting very late on Thursday night. Jesus prays. He sweats drops of blood from the pressure that is upon him. He prays to his father and says, Father, if there's any other way for the sins of mankind to be forgiven, let this cup, the cup of God's wrath, which would be poured out upon Jesus on the cross, if there's any other way for this to happen, he says, you know, let it happen. His father is silent. Heaven is completely silent. And uh, he's going back and forth between praying and the apostles and the apostles, Jesus' right-hand men, the guys who are going to change the world. Do you know what happened to them? They fell asleep. <laughs> they, they couldn't stay awake. So now we come to Friday, often called Good Friday. And Good Friday probably starts a little bit after midnight. So it's going to be a long, long night for Jesus. He's never going to get to bed. And, and so we have the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. And so the Judas, the betrayer, and the guards uh, come to arrest Jesus. And that slime ball Judas does it with a kiss. He says, the one I kiss is the one that you want to arrest. And, and then so he does it. We're told in another gospel that then Peter cuts off one of the guards' ears. Not a great thing. Jesus puts the guy's ear back on. I would say, what is it, like Mr. Potato Head or something like that? It's kind of a strange scene. But then they take Jesus to what's called uh, the Jewish trial of Jesus phase one, the first trial. And it's an informal one. Uh, it's at the house of Annas. Can everybody at home go, Ugh. Annas, Ugh. Hate that guy. Oh, do not like that guy. It's at Annas. Now, Annas is who? He's the former high priest. 
Now, why is he the former high priest? Because he was so bad, the Romans fired him. They terminated him. They, they just couldn't stand him. And so then after that, they moved to phase two of the trial of Jesus, a more formal Jewish trial before Caiaphas, who is the high priest, and he's Annas's son-in-law. So he's probably basically doing what Annas uh, told him to do. And so, and part of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling body of the Jewish leaders. Now they're supposed to wait until daybreak, until they make a verdict. So while they're waiting for the official verdict, they've already made one, they put a beating on Jesus. Uh, then Peter denies Jesus while the trials are going on, just like Jesus said he would, and Peter said he wouldn't. And then we come to the third trial or the third phase of the Jewish trial of Jesus, the final verdict. The sun comes up. They vote Jesus should die for blasphemy, himself making himself out to be God, and they vote yes. After that, Judas hangs himself, he realizes what he has done is wrong. He returns to the religious leaders and says, what I did was wrong. Here's the money. Don't go through what you're doing. They want nothing to do with him. They don't want, they want anything to do with him. So then we move into the Roman trial of Jesus. There's basically three phases of that. Uh, only the Romans can do the death penalty. They, they, they took that away from the Jews and when they conquered uh, Israel. So he goes to see uh, Pontius Pilate, the governor, and, and the religious leaders say um, he claims to be a king. He claims to be a king. There's a few other things that they say. We'll look at that in our study on Friday night. Uh, but the ironic thing is, this is what strikes me, the hypocrisy is just beyond belief, is that the religious leaders will not enter Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor's house, because that will make them unclean for the Passover. I mean, really, you're going to falsely accuse a perfect guy, Jesus, and you're going to kill him. You're going to ask the Romans to kill him, but you don't want to be unclean for the Passover. Okay, that's all I have to say with that. Next, we move to the Roman trial of Jesus, phase two, which he, he goes in front of uh, another real slime ball by the name of Herod Antipas, King Herod Antipas. So Pilate finds nothing wrong with Jesus and he tries to pass the buck and he says, well, maybe this should be Herod's case because he's from Galilee. He happens to be in town. Jesus is in town from Galilee. Herod's in town from Galilee. And the disgusting slob only wants to see a miracle from Jesus. So finally he's like, well, pff, I don't know nothing, man. Send this guy back to Pilate. So then we come to phase three. Phase one, he's in front of Pilate. Phase two, he's in front of Herod Antipas. Phase three, he's back with uh, another Roman trial of Jesus, the final verdict. Herod sends him back to Pontius Pilate. He says he's not guilty. Pilate says he's not guilty. He offers one free prisoner to the people, Pontius Pilate. This is a tradition they had. And the crowds want this murderer by the name of Barabbas and they're yelling out, crucify him, and Jesus is condemned to death. Next, Jesus has the cross. They, they, the Roman soldiers beat him, and he's taking the road to Golgotha, 
And um, interesting, in the beatings, people often died just there in the beatings that they'd give him. And he'd already been beaten by the, by the religious leaders, and they marched Jesus up to the cross. Next comes the crucifixion. The Romans are professional executioners. Nobody escapes. Jesus is crucified between two thieves. One will come to put his trust in Jesus. The other will continue to mock Jesus. And the scene around the cross is you have these professional executioners. They're doing their job. It's another day at the office. The Romans would crucify people publicly because they would, you know, wanted you to see what happened if you you know, went up against Caesar. You had other people that were walking around that were just walking up, wagging their heads and their fingers and mocking out Jesus while others are mourning because Jesus is being crucified. Next, we have the death of Jesus from noon to 3 p.m. It's completely dark over the land. Then Jesus dies. Then we have the burial of Jesus in the, uh, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a very rich religious leader who had become a follower of Jesus and no doubt was one of the dissenters in the Sanhedrin of the vote, or maybe they made it so he was not around. So Saturday is a quiet day. The Jewish leaders, uh, they go to Pontius Pilate and they go, listen, we need to post guards at the tomb because we're afraid that the apostles uh, are gonna steal the body because they said that Jesus, that you know, fake, he said that he was gonna rise from the dead. Then we come to Easter Sunday. So Easter Sunday, some women get up early and they're going to go anoint Jesus's dead body. They know there's a rock in front of the tomb. They're really not so sure how that they're gonna deal with that, but they go and then they get there, they discover an empty tomb and the angels tell them what to do. The angels tell them, go, say, go tell the disciples and Peter, don't let, make sure you tell Peter because the Lord forgives him for denying him, it's okay. And, and that Jesus has risen from the dead. So the women tell the disciples. They go off to tell the disciples. Matthew says, interesting thing, Matthew says, as they go, they're running and they are fearful and joyful. They're both. They're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. And like, this is great, this is great. Luke tells us the disciples didn't believe them. They, they, they didn't believe them. Then Peter and John... They rush to the tomb, but they find it empty. And then Mary returns to the tomb. That's Mary Magdalene, and she encounters Jesus. Then uh, two disciples are walking. Cleopas and another disciple are walking on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them. They don't recognize him. Cleopas is not one of the 12, but only later do they realize it. After that, after Jesus leaves those guys, he appears to the 10 without Thomas. You say, but there's supposed to be 12 disciples. Well, there's 12 minus Judas. That leaves us with 11. Thomas is not there. That leaves us with 10. After that, there's later appearances of Jesus and the ascension. He appears to the 11, including Thomas again. He appears to other people at the, at the Sea of Galilee and various other appearances. And then he issues the Great Commission. Matthew's account is the most popular. But since we're spending this week with Dr. Luke, Luke, the writer of the gospel, was a 
doctor, we are going to read his great commission. Luke 24, 46 through 49. Then he, Jesus said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ or Messiah uh, to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that, now this is very interesting. This is the mission of the church. And that successful Christian living should be preached? No. Four steps to being happy? No. 18 ways to be a good dad? Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the core message of what Jesus wanted preached. He said, and that repentance and remission of sins or the taking away of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses, he says to the apostles, and you are witnesses of these things, that's followers of Jesus now. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry or wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high until I send the Holy Spirit, wait for him in Jerusalem to come to you. He will give you the power you need to preach the gospel and do the ministry that I have for you. Then various appearances all over the, over the course of that time between the, the, uh, when Jesus appeared to them and then finally he rises up and, and he gives this great commission and right after that we have the ascension, approximately 40 days after the resurrection. Jesus ascends into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God and the Savior King of these events will someday return as judge in what we call the second coming. Luke 24, 50 through 53 tells us after he's given them their commission, what he says, how the ascension goes down. He says, and he led them out as far as Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass when he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So it is a physical, Jesus was raised in a physical body and his physical body is raised up to heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. So they went to the temple. We might say they went to church. So does the fact that you know these things and you go to church mean that you're okay with God? Maybe, maybe not. See, what I've given to you is the highlight of the events of the Passion Week. As you go through the different events, you might find that more is communicated through the reactions of the people to Jesus than some of the events themselves. I mean, it's not just what they say, it's how, again, they react to Jesus and how their actions tell us where they stand with Jesus, whether they go to temple or not, whether they go to church or not. Doesn't, not everybody in, in the building is, is in the same place with God. So a lot of the actions of the people will tell us, are they really with God or are they really against God? The reactions are many. There are many. And I just want to look at a few. 
And when you look at them, you know, some are easy to tell, some are not to tell if you're new to the Bible. We've said this before that sometimes the fact that the religious leaders hate Jesus and the apostles is so very confusing. The fact that so many religious people don't like Jesus, even though they go to church, is very, very confusing. So the first group I want us to look at is religious phonies. Religious phonies. Sadly, you find them in church. I wish it wasn't true, but you do. One of the good things about the way we do church is when you teach verse by verse, it tends to weed them out. It tends to, teaching verse by verse tends to attract, let's just put three different crowds. It attracts two of the three crowds. The people who really want to follow hard after God. They love verse by verse teaching because they love that it's challenging. Even though it's brought to their attention, their sinfulness, they see that as that's God's invitation to intimacy to me, that he wants to make me more like Christ, that I know he's at work. And that's why I'm really willing to listen to the gracious words of Jesus, even if he's telling me I'm a sinner. Take what you've just heard from Pastor Jim Kevney on Changed by Love and share it with a friend or neighbor. Encouraging words are priceless in today's world. Pastor Jim relies on your prayer and support each day to reach thousands of people just like you. You can also find other ways to team with Changed by Love on our website at changedbyloveradio.org or you can call 862-217-9686. We are called by His name to change the world and we are stronger together than we could ever be apart. You and Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Thank you for your support and the time you spend with Changed by Love.